What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Happy Saturday. It's Super Bowl weekend, and I got a special episode for you guys today. I'm going to be breaking down the most interesting storylines for this year's Super Bowl. We're going to be talking about field conditions, advertising rates, team hotels, the pregame flyover, private jet travel, ticket prices, and more. I promise you this is going to be one of the more fun episodes this entire year, and you're guaranteed to learn something. But that's not it. The second half of this episode is going to be an exclusive interview with San Francisco 49ers president, Al Guido. We talk about how the team has utilized on-field success to build its brand and how their valuation has increased over the last few years because of it. It's an awesome interview, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy that too. So without further ado, let's get into it. All right, so this podcast is going to be a little bit more like bullet point style. I'm going to bring up a topic, I'll talk you guys through it, and then we'll move on to the next one. But I think the most logical place to start is with the Super Bowl field itself. Now, it's no secret that the Super Bowl field was a huge storyline last year. I mean, the field was an absolute disaster. Several of the players were saying it was the worst field that they've ever played on. It was slippery. Players were falling everywhere. They were changing cleats after every single drive. And it had a significant impact on the game itself. So this year, the NFL is taking it a lot more seriously. Now, many people joked about last year, Sod Father, the Sod Father, who was in charge of managing the field in the process. He had done this for basically every Super Bowl over the last 50 plus years, but he's a part-time employee for the NFL and they moved him out of that position. So they called it a mutual parting ways and the NFL hired or, or elevated someone named Nick Pappas to be in charge of this entire process. Now, Nick and his team have been out in Las Vegas for more than a month at this point. I think it's probably coming up on 35 days and this year's field should be a little bit better. So for some background on the field itself, the grass for this field was grown at a sod farm in California before it was transported to Allegiant Stadium. Now, it's grown for more than a year at this sod farm, and then it gets moved over to Allegiant Stadium and installed on the field tray outside of the stadium. Now, the reason why they don't just use the Raiders field, which is natural grass as well, is because the field is beat up all year long. I mean, if people saw the videos at the end of the season, there were these viral videos going on about the end zone of the Raiders field. It looked absolutely terrible, and it had taken a beating all year long. So the NFL wants to bring in this new field and make it better for the big game on the biggest stage for one of the world's biggest sports. Now, again, it's been in place for several weeks for over 30 days at this point. And the NFL's crew has been utilizing Allegiant Stadium's advanced technology. So Allegiant Stadium is obviously one of the newer stadiums in the NFL. It's a $2 billion stadium. And the field tray itself, which is similar to State Farm Stadium in, uh, in Arizona where they held the Super Bowl last year, they have this field tray that moves the field in and out of the stadium so it can get sunlight during the day, and then for the game, you move it in. But it also has a bunch of cool, uh, what we'll call like advanced technological things that maybe State Farm didn't have. The tray can, for example, measure soil temperature. It has these heaters underneath so it can heat up the field and pretend like it's not cold outside. The NFL has a robotic system uh, that they call the Beast to simulate cleat movement on the field itself. And again, they can transport it in and out to get it natural sunlight during the day. But still, while everything should be good, because what I've heard last year, what the problem was, was that they watered the field right before they brought it inside. And the problem with doing that is that the field wasn't able to dry out once you get it in the AC. It smelt a little bit. It was a little bit musty. And it was really, really, really slippery because it didn't dry out. So they've done a few different things. As I mentioned, it's been there for about a week longer than it normally is. They left it outside for three to four days longer than it was left outside last year to help it dry out a little bit. But they also didn't water right before it went inside. So theoretically, it should be a little less slippery as well. Now, again, I'm not an expert on this stuff. There's a few other things that go into it for sure. But ultimately, the NFL feels much more confident about this year's field than they did in the years previous. But again, this is still a storyline worth watching. I personally have several prominent sports bettors that have hit me up poking around this week for more information about the field. 
because they believe that last year's slippery field played a huge role in the overhitting on the over-under total. And you just never know how a new field is going to react once it gets put into those conditions with air conditioning and everything else. So this is going to be something that people are going to be watching for several days now leading up to the game. And the field is already in there. It's not going outside again. So what's in there is what they got. There's going to be rehearsals for the halftime show and everything else taking place. So this is a storyline that everyone should be watching because it can have a significant impact on the outcome for this game. All right, let's move on to MSG's $2.3 billion sphere. So this is a massive week for the Las Vegas sphere. Brands are paying upwards of $2 million for week-long ad packages. For context, they typically pay about $450,000 for the same package, non-Super Bowl week. So significant increase there from $450,000 to $2 million. And also the suites are going for a lot of money. Pat McAfee said he attended the U2 show there on Wednesday night this week, and he paid $60,000 for a suite to see that show. That's significantly higher than you would normally see. And I know a lot of other people that went to that show as well. And they were super, super, super excited and had a lot of really good things to say about the venue in general. They claim that it's just an experience, right? You're not even there for that show specifically. You're there to see the lights, the show, everything else around it. If the musical act is great and you enjoy U2 or whoever else might be playing there in the future, Dead & Co., et cetera, then you're going to really enjoy it as well. All right, 49ers travel plans. So part of what I want you guys to hear in the next episode is about the San Francisco 49ers travel plan. So President Al Guido told me specifically that they were bringing all, every single full-time staff member for the San Francisco 49ers, plus guests, to this year's Super Bowl. That amounts to more than 2,000 people. The team had to charter five planes to transport everyone to Las Vegas, and they did the same thing to Miami for their last Super Bowl run in 2020. Now, one of the things that I thought was hilarious was I asked Al, I said, do you budget this? Like, is this something you're prepared for on an annual basis? And he's like, no, not specifically. We have to add it in. And you could argue that it's either a plus or a minus because there's obviously a lot of other business things that come out of making it to the Super Bowl run. So an expense like this isn't the worst thing in the world. And I totally agree with that. But I thought it was funny where he basically was just like, we don't budget for it. It comes up. It's happened twice over the last four years. And it's awesome when it does. Jed York, the 49ers owner, has been uh, the driving force behind this, making sure that everyone that wants to go to the game from the 49ers organization is able to go there because, as he says, they work all year for this and the entire organization deserves to celebrate. One of the things you'll also hear in the podcast with Al is just his game day routine. He says that he's bringing like six or seven family members himself, including his daughters, his wife, his parents, and everyone else associated with him and his family to the game because this is what they work all year for. And it's only a, uh, a couple times in potentially his entire career that this kind of thing is going to happen. So it's really cool to hear the background on that. And I think that's part of the conversation with Al that you guys are really going to enjoy. Uh, record-breaking viewership. This is something that I've talked about ad nauseum this week on TV shows on CNBC and Cheddar and other places like that. But just the idea that we're probably going to set an all-time viewership record this year, handily beating last year's 115 million viewers on Fox. Now, if I had to place an over-under on this, my guess, my estimate would probably be around 120 million viewers. That is a huge number. It's 5 million more than the previous record that was set last year. But I'll give you my reasoning. Now, the first part of this is Taylor Swift. I think Taylor Swift has certainly had an impact on the numbers. I think anyone that's saying that she doesn't have an impact is just ignoring the data at this point. Not only has she been to, I think, over 10, maybe 12 games this year, and the numbers have steadily increased every single game, but just look at the data from the last two games that the Chiefs played. They set a viewership record with 50 million viewers for the AFC Divisional Round game against the Buffalo Bills, and then they came back the following week and set another record with 55 million viewers for the AFC Championship game. Now, obviously, a game takes two different teams. Some of this could have been attributed to Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen or the Bills and the Ravens. 
But ultimately, I think what's happening here is that the storyline has been building all year long. I mean, this keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger every single week that the Chiefs win. And now that they're in the Super Bowl, it's the biggest. We're hitting this pinnacle that we've never seen before where you have Taylor Swift. You have Patrick Mahomes going for quite possibly one of the greatest careers of all time when it comes to a quarterback. We have Travis Kelsey. We have Andy Reid, potentially one of the greatest coaches of all time. And all of this stuff combined has built this narrative around this team. When you add in the 49ers who have a massive fan base too, I think it only adds to it and we're going to see a record. But that's only one part of it. And the more important part of this to me is, the, is how these numbers are calculated. For those of you that know what the company Nielsen is, Nielsen is essentially just the business that calculates all the ratings for these games. And Nielsen, what they did was they fundamentally changed the way, the formula that they used to calculate these ratings a few years ago. And what they did is they added something called out-of-home viewership. We call it OOH. And what that is is exactly what it sounds. It's people that watch these events or these games outside of their home. So that's anyone who's watching in an airport, maybe in a bar or a restaurant, or even at a watch party at someone else's house. Now, the reason why this is so important is because it has significantly juiced the numbers over the last four years. It's precisely why you feel like everything is a record. I mean, I look across sports today, every single week I'm tweeting something, record viewership, the highest since 2000, the highest in 50 years. It's every single week that this is happening, and it's primarily due to the fact that Nielsen changed the way they rate these games. For example, on Thanksgiving Day last year, the NFL held a few games. Those games had about 10 to 15 million additional viewers from out-of-home viewership alone. That's obviously going to be huge for the Super Bowl as well because the OOH is driven during holidays, during big events, games that you would watch with other people or travel to places for or go to watch parties for or whatever. So Thanksgiving Day is obviously one. Christmas Day, Christmas Eve are obviously big days too for out-of-home viewership. And those are the reasons why we're seeing the NFL allocate more games to those days, right? Black Friday is another one. And the Super Bowl is obviously a great example of that too. So this isn't a bad thing. I don't say all this to say this is bullcrap and it shouldn't be that way. In fact, I would argue that the numbers are actually more accurate now than they were in the past. But with that said, it also makes it so you can't compare today's numbers to anything before 2020 because the way that they are calculated is different. And this is going to be changing in the future as well. And these numbers are only going to get higher and higher and higher. All right, let's move to the Super Bowl flyover. The U.S. Air Force Thunderbirds will be performing the Super Bowl flyover at this year's Super Bowl. They'll be coming from Nellis Air Force Base, which is only about 15 miles down the road in Las Vegas. But since Allegiant Stadium has a roof, people in attendance will only see a shadow of the Thunderbirds as they pass over the stadium. There's actually this video that I saw uh, earlier this week. It was on Reddit. If you just Google, I think, you know, Pro Bowl Allegiant Stadium flyover view, I'm sure you'll be able to find it. But it shows you exactly how it's going to look inside the stadium. The roof is not clear on the stadium, but it's also not completely dark. So you'll literally see what looks like just like a shadow of the planes flying over. Obviously, you can hear them and you see them coming on the big screen inside the stadium. So it's not going to be totally useless for people inside the stadium, but it's not going to be like the Rose Bowl or something else like that where you clearly see the planes fly over and you can see everything. Now, some people are inevitably going to call this a waste of taxpayer money, and I would argue in some instances, maybe that's correct. But one of the important things to remember here is that these things are done specifically with the Thunderbirds and other crews like that because they need the maintenance, they need the training hours on these planes anyways. And for this one specifically, I would argue that it's the best case scenario. They're only coming from 15 miles down the road, and it's going to be something that they would have to do anyway, so why not plan it around the Super Bowl? It's something that they've been practicing during the week, and I'm sure is going to be a fan favorite on television. Okay, next up, team hospitality. To avoid players getting tempted by nearby roulette tables, the Chiefs and 49ers are staying 25 miles off the strip on Lake Las Vegas this week. 
Both of the hotels are super nice. The Chiefs are staying at the Westin while the 49ers are staying at the Hilt. The funny part about this actually are that the team hotels are only about a mile apart. So they're relatively close to each other on Lake Las Vegas. Again, about 25 miles off the strip, about a 30 to minute, 35 minute drive, potentially depending on what the traffic situation is like. But that's not a problem. That's actually good. Great. Hotels are awesome. But the bigger noise this week has come with the difference in practice facilities. I'm sure you guys have heard about this online, but I want to explain it to you guys because some people don't know how this actually works. For instance, the AFC and NFC, the two divisions, the two conferences, rotate each year as the home team for the Super Bowl. So this year, it's the AFC's turn to be the home team. Last year was the NFC, and next year it'll be the NFC as well, and it rotates every single year after that. But that means that the Chiefs are the home team this year. That means they get to wear their red uniforms on Sunday while the 49ers will wear white. But more importantly, the home team for the Super Bowl gets to practice at the local NFL facility throughout that week, while the away team gets set up at the nicest college facility in the same city. Now, there are a few caveats to this for arenas or cities like New York, which has two teams for Los Angeles, which has the Chargers and the Rams as well. You would obviously split those up depending on what team is there. Now, the Bucks were the first team to play a home game at their own stadium uh, a few years ago. They were the home team that year, so they got to use their facility. I'm sure that they would have still used their facility if they're away team. There would have been an agreement or something like that. But that's usually how it works. And it means that the Chiefs are practicing at the Raiders facility this week. The Raiders facility is absolutely incredible. I tweeted about it. So if you guys want to go see any pictures, you can do that. It's a brand new $75 million indoor facility. They have several fields, including indoor and outdoor fields. They have a huge locker room. They have a huge meeting room. They have a world-class weight room. They have dining rooms. They have recovery rooms and everything else you can imagine. It's great. Now, the 49ers are at UNLV, which is also a really nice brand new facility too. Uh, the Fertitta family, owners of the UFC, donated $10 million to that facility. It's named after them. And it's absolutely incredible. It is really nice. And by all standards, would not be a problem at all. But something unique happened this week, which I think is worth talking about. The NFL, since UNLV is not a non-NFL facility, came in and they installed new grass fields because they had to have natural grass because UNLV's fields are artificial turf. Now, the only problem with this is they didn't rip out the artificial turf. In fact, they installed the grass fields on top of the artificial turf. And the 49ers have been complaining about the surface since, saying it is way too soft and a spongy-like thing that they're not used to and doesn't replicate what they're actually going to be playing on later this week. Now, the fields have reportedly improved throughout the week as they've been practicing on them, and 49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan said during media day that it wasn't a concern. But again, similar to the field conditions inside the stadium, this is something that I think is worth following because I expect this to be a storyline if the 49ers lose this game. But that's neither here nor there. Next thing I want to talk about is 1,000-plus private jets headed to Las Vegas this weekend. Las Vegas airports are expecting more than 1,000 private jets for this year's Super Bowl. All local airports are fully booked. Planes are paying between $750 to $15,000 to park throughout the week. And Henderson Airport, the local airport right there, even added 18 acres of extra parking. Now, many of you know that I went to the Las Vegas Grand Prix, uh, I think it was in November of last year. It was the inaugural Formula One race there in Las Vegas. And these airports really use that race as a dress rehearsal. Henderson Airport had already done the renovation of those 18 acres. And there were a thousand plus private jets there that weekend too, because Formula One is such a big international event and it's a big money event with a lot of wealthy people as well. That was used as a dress rehearsal and it showed that all signs should be go and everything should be fine for this week in Las Vegas. And yes, the NFL did reserve Taylor Swift a spot, so she will not have to worry. She will not have to find another spot or park in LA or anywhere else. She will be in Las Vegas and able to land there with 
no problem. Next up, I want to talk about Kristen Juszczyk. Now, this is a story that I have been following for several weeks now, and I'm sure you guys have too. Taylor Swift wore one of her designs at a Chiefs playoff game last month, and she has absolutely blown up on social media. I think she's gained about 900,000 Instagram followers since Taylor Swift wore that jacket. She's going to hit a million followers on Instagram potentially later this week before the Super Bowl. And it has worked out tremendously for her. The NFL, in fact, gave her an official licensing deal. For those of you that don't know, an official licensing deal with the NFL is very hard to get. You have to basically complete this laundry list of a checklist. You have to have multiple years of merchandise experience. You have to uh, pay a huge fee. I think it's around $350,000 or something like that to secure the deal. And there's a bunch of different things that you have to do. Now, some people will argue that this isn't fair. She only got it because she had a connection to Taylor Swift, because her husband is an NFL player, because she went viral on social media. But yes, that's absolutely correct. And I would argue that it's still good for the NFL to do this. Women around the NFL and fans of the NFL need more uh, merchandise options, and she is filling that void along with a number of other creators as well. But the more important reason I want to talk about this is because she released her first official NFL licensed product this week. It's a Super Bowl-themed vest, and she is auctioning it off with all proceeds going to the National Breast Cancer Foundation. You can find the link on her social media profiles. And a lot of people are already bidding on this. Last time I checked on Friday, uh, it had about 85 bids. The current bid was $32,700. There was 36 hours left in the auction. And it would not surprise me to see this jacket sell for in around or maybe even potentially more than $100,000 over the next, you know, call it 24 hours or so by the time you're listening to this podcast. But this jacket is just one of many things that are going to be expensive about this weekend's game in Las Vegas. For example, the get-in price for this year's Super Bowl is currently $8,100 on TickPick. That's about 70% higher than last year's game, and it makes this year's game the most expensive Super Bowl on record. Now, some of this is because the game is in Las Vegas. The Raiders were the most expensive football ticket last season, and their stadium is relatively small at 65,000 seats. That ranks them 27th in the NFL today. So supply and demand is certainly playing a role. But the larger issue is how these tickets are distributed. The NFL gives 35% of the inventory to participating teams, the Chiefs and the 49ers. The home market NFL team, the Raiders, gets 5% of the inventory, and the other 29 NFL teams split 35% of the inventory. That leaves the NFL with the remaining 25% of tickets for themselves. The only problem is that most of the NFL's tickets are awarded to corporate partners or given away through charitable causes, leaving only a fraction, in some cases, less than 1% of the inventory available to fans. Now, obviously, some of the inventory mentioned above from different teams that aren't in the game themselves, from the NFL and different corporate partners, some of that inventory ends up on the secondary market. You know, people are just trying to make money by selling their tickets and not going to the game. But that's precisely why Super Bowl tickets have gotten so expensive over the last decade. All of the available inventory is immediately hitting the secondary market rather than people giving the ability to pay on the primary market and get a huge discount because of it. CBS is also going to put on one of the biggest Super Bowl broadcasts we've ever seen. CBS pays the NFL $2.1 billion a year, and that's the reason why they are hosting this year's Super Bowl game and broadcasting the game. And they are not messing around. CBS will use 165 cameras for this year's broadcast, including three drones, five sky cams, 24 robotic cameras, 20 end zone pylon cameras, and six doink cameras inside the uprights to see when a player misses a field goal. This year's Super Bowl will also be simulcast on Nickelodeon for the first time ever, which brings me to my next point, $7 million commercials. 
Brands are reportedly paying an average of $6.47 million, an 11% increase year over year for 30-second commercials during this year's game, with the highest bidders paying up to $7 million per 30-second slot during the big game on Sundays. As always, brands that run multiple ads will receive a discount. And since this year's game is being simulcast on Nickelodeon, they will also receive inventory on that network as well. Now, there is one caveat to all of this, which is for alcohol and sports betting brands. Obviously, those won't be shown on the Nickelodeon broadcast. There are about 15 commercials that don't fit into the Nickelodeon telecast because of that. So CBS has gone out and secured additional advertisers for the Nickelodeon-only packages at a reported $200,000 to $300,000, according to Variety. And the last thing I want to talk about today is gambling in Las Vegas this week. The NFL has heightened its gambling rules this weekend. Chiefs and 49ers players, as well as NFL staff and personnel, are strictly prohibited from gambling. That includes everything from placing sports bets to doing a hand of blackjack in the casino as well. NFL players that don't play for the Chiefs or 49ers can gamble this week, but they still aren't allowed to bet or be seen in a sports book unless they are just passing through the sports book. But the NFL has made one exception. After the Super Bowl, all restrictions are removed, meaning Chiefs and 49ers can gamble as much or as little as they want. That's it, though, when it comes to the fun facts about this year's Super Bowl. We're going to take a quick break to hear from today's sponsor. And then when you come back, we're going to be having an exclusive interview with Al Guido, the president of the San Francisco 49ers. All right, everyone, welcome back. As promised, now we have an exclusive interview with Al Guido, the president of the San Francisco 49ers. Al is a great guy, and he gives us a bunch of insight, including some exclusive numbers into everything about how the on-field success of the team has led to increased financial success for the organization. We talk about how Levi Stadium has landed some of the best non-football events like the World Cup and WrestleMania. And we even touch on the 49ers and the economics behind them bringing 2,000 plus people to this year's Super Bowl. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation. So let's get right into it. All right, Al, thanks so much for doing this. I think the most logical place to start today is just with Vegas in general. This is obviously the first Super Bowl being hosted in Vegas. What's it like on the ground over there? Is it busy? Are you guys having fun? Do you think we're coming back here for another Super Bowl? It's awesome, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Vegas is a good scene right now. The lobbies are starting to get packed. Uh, last night, I went to U2 at the Sphere, which is a fantastic time. I think Las Vegas is putting on a great show so far. So I, I, ho- I hope we're able to come back here. Not sure when, but to me, this feels like a rotation city uh, in the making. I love it. All right, let's talk about the 49ers specifically. You're obviously president of the 49ers. have been in that post for a while now. I want to talk about just the sustained success that you guys have had. Obviously, over the last number of years, there's been championship games, multiple Super Bowls now, and I imagine that does quite a lot of things for you, but specifically on the business side, what does that do for the franchise? It's been a fantastic run, as you mentioned, on on and off the field, to be honest, Joe, but I would take your uh, people back a little bit. When we were in Candlestick Park, which is the oldest non-renovated stadium in the NFL at that time. We really, we had no premium seats. We had very little sweet inventory. We were, you know, in the bottom quartile of revenues, right, as the five-time Super Bowl champions. And then fast forward, we open up Levi Stadium, you know, become top five in revenue and the entire National Football League, significant contractually obligated income, great partners, number one in the league in seven-figure sponsorship deals. But I'll say, like, over the last three or four years, we put in place a strategy knowing that a lot of our partners were expiring at the 10-year mark, which now we're at right now. So we put through plans with the National Football League to do over our $200 million in renovations to upgrade our suites, to add additional club inventory, to improve the fan experience. And what this run and that strategy has led to 
significant performance in our business um, across the board. We're now number one in the National Football League in all ticket sales. Again, top three in the other categories. And on top of that, Joe, what I would say is it's also led to success on the non-NFL event side. We're able to secure Super Bowl 60, so it'll be 10 years since the day we hosted Super Bowl 50. We're able to secure six World Cup matches in the summer of 2026. And I, I don't know if we'll ever see this, show, you and I, in our lifetime, but to be the only city in the world hosting a, a Super Bowl and a World Cup in the same year is unprecedented to date, and I'm not sure we'll ever see it uh, happen again. Yeah, that's amazing. And that actually was a topic I wanted to talk about because for people that follow multiple sports across the U.S., but obviously international too and concerts and everything else, Levi Stadium, your guys' stadium, has become like this amazing venue for all of that. I was thinking about it right before we got on here, and I can count. You had the Super Bowl in 2016, obviously. You're going to do it again in 2026. College Football National Championship, WrestleMania. Uh, you did NHL Stadium Series, Taylor Swift, Beyonce, Rolling Stones, Coldplay, like a bunch of other concerts too. Can you talk a little bit about what just that does for your business? Obviously, one of the themes that we've seen over the years is that people are trying to build these venues that are multi-purpose, right? They want to host things outside of just football games, outside of just basketball games if you're an arena and so forth. Maybe just touch on a little bit about why that's so important to the overall business of the 49ers. Well, we take a look at this as like, what is our value proposition? Not just on the San Francisco 49ers side. That's, that's easy. It's known. But what is our overall value proposition to our partners, to our fans, to our ticket holders, to our suite owners? And that includes events at Levi Stadium. As you mentioned, some of the ones we've hosted, but we've done 155 events in the first 10 years. And that's with a non-dome building. We've done $2 billion in economic impact in our region. We've created 12,000 jobs. I think from a commercial perspective, Joe, what I'm most proud of is what we've done with the Niners, of course, what we've done on the Niners fellow events side, but we've also expanded that value proposition to include, you know, the UK market now with the NFL international program to include the Mexico market. Right? We've purchased, of course, Leeds United. And so when we talk to partners, we really feel, and you talked about this, whether it's a multi-platform value proposition that we have, frankly, one of the best, if not the best out there for people to latch onto and really, you know, gain significant attraction, not just in the Bay Area, but across the globe. I love that. What does a typical Super Bowl week look like for you as president of a team like the 49ers? Well, I got here on Monday, and then Monday and Tuesday was was a little low key. Uh, Wednesday through Saturday, it's just it's it's bonkers. Uh, between meetings with partners, uh, hosting our staff, we took five huge planes for all of our staff to get here. We have over two thousand guests. Uh, we have over a thousand hotel rooms that are here, so we have a number of events on the 49ers side. And then, of course, I have another title uh, and another job on the Elevate front where we just finished up an acquisition uh, this week of a company called SRI Talent, which is now going to be Elevate Talent. Uh, they are located in 15 cities, four continents. It brings the Elevate staff to a little over 300 people right now, representing about 175 different properties or brands. And so it's a busy week for me, Joe. Uh, the days are packed from the time I get up, which I go run. I go play basketball at the Hoops Court. It's Jerry Tarkanian court right around the corner at about 6 a.m., get about an hour, hoops run in, and then, frankly, the workday starts. That's good, man. Busy is good, and working out at the beginning of the day is the best time to do it. It uh, is, man. All right, so tell me about the uh, Super Bowl in general, just the differences between this Super Bowl versus when you guys were in it in 2020. Obviously, both were against the Chiefs, but the business is obviously a little bit different. The venue and the city is different. What are the feelings about kind of the differences that you've seen between the two? 
you know, Miami, uh, when we, when we performed in Miami, it was, uh, it was my first time as president there. It was a little bit further for our fans, so specifically to the 49ers. This has been much easier to get to. Certainly there's a lot of things within walking distance, um, you know, where some of these other Super Bowls, including ours, you just have a little bit more of a drive. So there's pros and cons to all this. But I would say, um, for our partners, it's, it's been, it's been fantastic because there's plenty of things to do. Uh, there's plenty of parties to go to. You can spread out pretty well here. So it's really been, it's been good across the board. And, 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 you know, add on top of that, give, uh, you know, MSG and the, and the sphere a lot of credit because that was my first experience. And that, and that is, that is world class. There's no, there's no question about it. It's really a lot of fun. How was you two there? They were awesome. They were, they were really good. Uh, they put on, they put on a great show, uh, in front of a lot of good people. It was a packed house and it's just, it, it was really cool. And it's good to see uh, that, that venue have success, but frankly, all the venues here, I mean, you've covered on your platform, just how well Vegas has done as a sports market. If you think about give credit to, to Mark Davis and the Raiders for what they've been able to do here. Of course, the Vegas Golden Knights have been successful really since they came to town. There's F1. I've spent a lot of time around F1, both in my elevate job and, and just as a fan, frankly, I know you covered a lot. So that was successful here. There's a lot to be said about this market as a sports uh, entertainment market, as frankly, just an entertainment market as a whole. Uh, and I think they're going to continue to see success. We all know there's current conversations around expansion of franchises and or relocation of franchises that may come here. So it'll be an interesting call it 24, 36 months in Vegas. Yeah, I love it. Vegas has turned in from, you know, zero sports teams to now having some of the biggest sporting events in the world, which is which is great for the city. But uh, I want to talk about like leadership in the organization for a quick second. So I know you've obviously been with the 49ers for a while, but even in your previous jobs at Legends and other places, you you had a connection to the 49ers or at least watching them. Right. And one of the things that I've noticed, and I'm sure other people have, too, is. John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, they've obviously played a huge role in the success of the team over the last, call it seven, eight or nine years since they were hired. What is it that makes them so successful and, ha- and has brought such consistent success to the 49ers as a franchise? Well, before I even talk about them, I got to start with the ownership group uh, and Jed York and the York family and what they've been able to do um, between building a stadium to, of course, recruiting John and Kyle uh, we have a we have a fantastic crew, and you know Jed Pragmarate, John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan. I mean, it's just a great group. Uh, it's a great culture, both on the business and the football side. I think we've we've of course recruited great talent, whether that through free agency or the draft, um, to perform on the field. But it starts with the culture at the top, and the York family provides all the resources necessary for us to be successful on and off the field. I don't think enough gets said about Jed's leadership. Uh, New York family's leadership in the community. Uh, a few years ago, we were we were awarded the ESPN Sports Humanitarian Team of the Year. We have the largest foundation in the entire National Football League. We have a we have a full time school. We have six full time teachers on staff teaching team education inside of Levi Stadium. And so it's a it's a great organization, Joe. It's it, of course it's storied, winning five Super Bowl trophies. But the, the success that's been had under Jed York uh, on the field, we hope we're able to get our six. We've played in two. We've come up a little bit short. Uh, of course, Sunday, we're hoping that we get to, we get to hoist that six Lombardi trophy for the franchise and the family. I love it. One of the things I got to ask about is uh, you mentioned it earlier in this conversation, flying out members of the staff, right? 
And I tweeted about this earlier this week because I remember you guys did it in 2020 in Miami. And um, I had heard that it was like 1,500 people or something like that. Maybe it sounds like it's a little bit more now. But just talk me through this decision because some people (laughs) are arguing, right? They're like, that should be normal. That's not normal. This is awesome. Did they budget for that? How does the planning process work? Like whatever you can give me info-wise on how you guys decided to do that and how it actually works would be super awesome to hear. Well, I guess the good and bad news of this is we've had to plan for this for the last couple of years. Of course, we've come up, we've come up short in a few NFC title games. So a little bit was, was old hat, but Jed in, in, when we went in 2019 and that year, Jed made it very clear, all full-time staff, um, we're going to come with us, right? This is what we go to work for. Yeah, there's no doubt. Right? We all work Monday through Friday jobs, but the Sundays, the Saturdays, the Thursday nights are special for us. And he wants to make sure. And not just the staff, but their families get to enjoy that with everybody. <laughs> and from a budgeting perspective, we actually don't budget for it. Uh, we consider it, whether you want to consider it a positive or negative variance, it just depends on how you look at it. But <laughs> for, for us, we never, we never really budget from a playoff perspective. Um, we always just do an update there. And the truth is, because you really don't know, there's a lot of rules that have changed in the National Football League, frankly, for playoffs, where it used to be really league revenue that then got distributed down. Now there's ways for teams to capture some of that at the local level. Uh, I, I think Roger told me we had the largest gate in NFL history outside of a Super Bowl for our NFC Championship game against Detroit. I, I was just on the phone with Fanatics. We're, we're hearing significant records being broken. I think we're double what the Philadelphia Eagles were last year, which were already set a record. Uh, and so we're, I mean, it, to me, uh, this is all about taking advantage of a, of a significant time. It's the world's largest event. And, uh, and Jed knows that and understands it and is willing to invest in it because, frankly, it pays itself back, um, both in the spirit of working at the team, but also, of course, financially in the future. Yeah, one of the things that you touched on a little bit earlier was just partnerships in general and how, obviously, some of them are coming up at the end of the 10-year mark with the new stadium. One of that was uh, Levi's, who recently just, you guys announced the renewal deal with them. Just talk me through that conversation, right? Like, obviously, the name is on the stadium. It's great. The team's good. Everyone's seeing it. But what sort of deliverables are you guys measuring? How do you determine success with a partner like that? Well, we measure against all deliverables, whether it's media value, you know, in-stadium impression, social and digital footprint, uh, traffic within their retail stores. There's so much to love about Levi's. You know, be, of course, being a San Francisco brand, being a global brand on the retail front gives us an opportunity now with the Mexico market and the UK market to really activate in every single one of their retail stores, which is fantastic for us. The conversation really started earlier this year a little bit with Chipberg playing a big role in helping us secure the World Cup and Super Bowl. He was very vocal. I know Roger would say this, Goodell, on the NFL side, that right after Super Bowl 50, he wanted to bring Super Bowl back. And he was part of all those presentations because you got to go win those things. They don't just come to you. And we were very aggressive in trying to land these events. And Chip came to me and said, hey, it's been a great 10 years We've done amazing things together. I know we still have 10 years left on the deal, but we want to be partners for the rest of this thing. And so we got to work on it and we were excited to announce a 10-year extension to their already 20-year deal. The final 10 years being at $170 million, so $17 million a year. We think it's a great, we know it's a great brand. Um, and it really, to me, it speaks to what we are. It's, I think Levi's is just rolls off the tongue for people in our market. Um, it's great that Sourdough Sam has always worn Levi's. So there's just a lot to it. And the other thing, Joe, is what we've seen with them too is be- them being at the center of sort of, you know, art, pop culture. Like earlier this year when we had Ed Sheeran in our building and he gets a Levi's jacket and you think about the Bruce Springsteen 
Born in the USA album cover with Levi's jeans on. I mean, there's just so many good storylines. And for who we are as a sports entertainment brand, they just make perfect sense. Yeah, that's great. I, I imagine, too, it's crazy to think about, but be, especially considering when you guys open the stadium, but it's probably one of the longer sponsorships in the NFL already, given you know we've seen a bunch of new teams open up stadiums and new partners come in. And it feels like, uh, I mean, you probably know the data better than I do, but Levi's has been there for quite a while, right? Yeah, Levi's has been here for a long time. And, the, and, and Joe, the other thing, too, it helps with is, is it, I think it speaks to what you were asking about earlier, which is the trust um, that, frankly, our partners have in our, in our leadership team and our ownership team. And so to, to know that a public company is willing to invest in us for 30 years and make that bet on who we're going to be, because we all know. Sports is cyclical, right? We've seen some good times. We've seen some bad times. In the NFL, there's so many things to love about the National Football League, right? Whether it's 96 of the top 100 television programs or or NFL football games. But a lot of the reason that is because the product on the field is so good and the parity is amazing, right? I mean, you can go for, I think, 50% of the teams who make the playoffs don't make it the next year. And And I generally think that's good for the game where so many team wins you start the season. I mean, look at the season the Detroit Lions had. I feel... Look, it's tough. I, I know I feel for them. We were in that spot. But, you know, between the Ford family and Rod and what they've been able to do and how they captured that market and, frankly, the national market around that storyline, you don't see that in a lot of other sports. And I and I give credit to the NFL and our Players Association for having a structure that, in my opinion, makes 32 franchises viable the minute they start preseason. 100%. Yeah, I heard Goodell talking about the parody stuff the other day. I forget the stat, but it was like, you know, 75 or 80% of the games were in one score within the fourth quarter, which is, you know, you can't beat that uh, relative to any other professional sport in the U.S. But all right, I got a couple more questions for you, then I'll let you go. Let's talk Brock Purdy for a second here. I've been dying laughing over the last few weeks just listening to this whole conversation about like game manager, game changer, this whole deal. What is the feeling about him in uh, the building? Because the more I learn about him over the last few weeks and last few months, like he's awesome. He's super humble. He uh, is is unapologetic about his faith and his belief and his teammates. He's obviously not making superstar money, uh, but he just seems like a really humble dude. Is there anything like inside the organization that you can share more about him? Uh, well, one, I appreciate you saying that. We agree. I mean, he's just he's made up of all the right stuff, man, and. I give him a ton of credit for working hard, coming back after a tough injury uh, in the NFC championship game. But I said this earlier today. I mean, he doesn't focus on where he was drafted. He just came in and did the work. And when he got his opportunity, he knocked the door down and, you know, he stayed and he's grabbed a leadership position within this team in just two short years. You you just, all you got to do um, when you think about these guys, and there you're right, there's a lot of noise on this. Just listen to his teammates. Listen, listen to the way they talk about him and what they say about his work ethic and 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 how he goes about his business. Uh, and so, it's a great story. I know for me, I got three daughters, 14, 13, and 11, and you always talk to them about taking advantage of their opportunity, being present in the moment, right? Never wasting uh, anything that's put in front of you. And this kid is the epitome of that. I'm I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for his family. Um, I hope, obviously, he goes out on Sunday and plays a great game. But it's a fantastic storyline if you're just a sports fan and if you're not a fan of one of these teams. You know, Mahomes is great. I know there's storylines around whether he's the best to do it. But, of course, he's been here before going up against Brock in the position he was drafted in. I think it's just great for all sports fans. But it's great for those who aspire to want to do something in their life that may think they're counted out or may not think that, you know, they have the best hand dealt to them, um, but that you can actually still achieve it if you work hard. 
uh, and that you go about your business the right way. 100%. Yeah, I'm a uh, Giants fan, so I don't have a horse in this race, but I'm certainly rooting for him to be successful because um, he seems like a good dude. All right, last one, though, Al. Sunday during the day, what's the routine look like? What What's the schedule? Do we have any superstitions around the game and watching these football games in general? Joe, I normally get a, I'll get a good uh, hoops run in because to me it's a great stress reliever. Uh, if I'm on the treadmill, it'll be too much. And then I'll come back and I'll grab my family. Um, my daughters, uh, of course, have seen two losses, which are tough. But knowing that my family's with me, the one thing I said coming out of COVID is sometimes in life you never know what you have until until you lose it. And in, during COVID, when I wasn't able to enjoy games with my with my family. I told myself I'd never take it for granted, and I enjoy every moment of it. So I can't wait to walk into that stadium. Um, Prior to that, I'll see all of our staff at our 49ers tailgate right right inside the parking lot. I'll see our partners as well. And then I'll really focus in on walking in there with my girls and my dad and my mom and my wife um, and my immediate family, and I'll soak it all up because uh, I pinch myself every day that I have this job. I stand on the shoulders of giants who came before me at the San Francisco 49ers who afforded up this opportunity, and that's not lost on me. So I'll pinch myself, and then the nerves will set in the minute kickoff happens, and I'll be cheering for a win. I love it, Al. I love it. Good luck on Sunday. Uh, you've done a really impressive job over the last few years with the 49ers, and I know that um, you have a great team behind you and everything. So I'll be rooting for you guys, and I uh, wish you the best of luck. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate the time. All right, everyone, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, all I ask is that you share it with a friend. Help me help you by making this podcast bigger and better than ever before. Have a great weekend and enjoy the game.